for those of you who have been with us for a while, you know that sometimes in our worship we practice public confession. Now, in saying that, for those of you who haven't been with us, that doesn't mean we all stand up and we say, this is what I've been doing wrong this week, but we have uh, a written out confession that we all say together, and it's a good practice for us in the way that um, we interact with who we are and how we may uh, fail at living our lives sometimes. But today I have a confession to make to you, just myself, to you, as people that gather together on Sundays with me. My confession is this, I have this strange compulsion to watch epic fail videos on Facebook. Now I don't know if you know what epic fail videos are on Facebook, but an epic fail video is a... uh, conglomeration, a gathering together of videos showing people attempting to do something and failing miserably at doing such a thing. Now, I really, I don't care if it's parkour, I don't care if it's cooking, I don't care if it's bad driving, but somehow, in some way, I end up beginning the process of seeing just one and about 30 to 45 minutes later, look up from either my computer screen or my phone and think, what have I been doing? And essentially, I've been watching people attempt something and fail at doing it. And I usually think to myself, well, I would never have that happen to me, partly because I would never try to do much of the things that they're trying to do. Now, as we continue Paul's story today, remember over the last two Sundays, we've been talking about Paul's story and how his story relates to God's story and God's pursuing story in his love for us so that we can be in whole relationship with him, with ourselves, with others, and with place. Well, in this, we continue Paul's story. And Paul tells us about Peter's epic fail. Now, Peter, the apostle, The one who Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. The one who quickly grabbed a sword and lopped off the ear of the man, the servant of the men who were coming to take Jesus away to trial. Peter, the one who in Acts chapter 10 sees this blanket come down from the sky filled with all sorts of unclean animals that God is saying, look, you can eat these who then goes and he sees Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit. And then gets in chapter 11 of Acts, told that should not have happened. But Peter stands strong and says, yes, it should. Yes, God is moving now, even among the Gentiles. But here is Peter's epic fail. You can almost see Paul hitting his hand on his head as he says, I had to talk to Peter. I had to confront him face to face. Because here's what had happened. Peter, who knew that Gentiles had received Christ, who knew that there was no separation, that in Christ there's no separation between Jews and Gentiles, had been eating with the Gentiles, spending time with them at Antioch. Now that's a big thing, sitting down and having supper together. It's one of the most intimate things you can do with people. And there he was. But when these other men came from Jerusalem, He began to slowly back away from the table and not eat with them anymore. And going into a separateness, a place where he was saying, well, they're Gentile Christians and we're Jewish Christians. 
And Paul says, Peter, epic fail. What you're forgetting is the gospel. What you're forgetting is that on the cross, what Christ was doing was creating a brand new family. All of us gathered together in God's grace and his righteousness. Peter, what you're forgetting is like Habakkuk has said, that the righteous will live by faith. That it's not following these laws or these regulations or these rules. It's not by birth or by socioeconomics or by where you happen to grow up. But it is by faith alone in Christ that you are part of this family. And what he says to him is you are acting, you are being a hypocrite. Now that's the same Greek word for drama, for putting on a mask. And the reality is we all tend to put on masks. We have a propensity for doing it. And most of the time that's caused by a fear of failure. We think to ourselves, I don't want anybody to know the real me because if they know the real me, then they might not really accept me. They might know that I think bad things about people. They might know that I'm not so sure about my faith. They might know that I'm really not that great of a person. And so we wear this mask. And usually it's built up by external things. Many of us have been play acting. As a matter of fact, some of us are so good at it, we deserve Oscars or Golden Globes or Logies. And here Peter has been acting. That's what Paul says to him. He gently reminds him, you've been acting. I have a good friend who's a pastor who tells the story of a small group of men who held each other accountable, much like Paul is holding Peter accountable here. And he tells the story of a breakfast that they were having, these group of men, and one of them confessed and said, I really have a problem speeding. I tend to speed everywhere I go. As a matter of fact, if I get another ticket, I will lose my license. And so the men all decided that they needed to help him with this. And so as he went up and they paid their bills and he went to the toilet to take care of business, before he kind of antsily got ready to go to the next meeting that he was going to, they all got in their cars. And as they pulled out onto the highway, one of them got in front of him and one of them got behind him and one of them got beside him and the other one got beside him and they all drove just slightly under the speed limit and boxed him in to keeping as he was going. To remind him that there's a speed limit and we're going to help you not speed. Now what that meant for them is they didn't get to go to the meetings that they were going to because they were going to help him get to the place that he was going to. What Paul's really reminding Peter and what he's reminding us is that there is an ultimate reality that exists for us. And that ultimate reality is in Christ. It comes quite clear in verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. One reality that is true among us is this. We like to wear masks. We're afraid that people are going to know who we really are. But the bigger reality is this, that the one who knows us completely loves us. Can't help but get enough of us. 
wants to be with us and see us. This love that is beyond compare. That's what Paul says there. It is a love. It's not only a love that is pursuing, it's a love that is willing to give of himself completely for us. If you remember at the very first of the book of Galatians, he says that he's come to set us free from this evil age, set us free from this world, that now I no longer live in this. Look, the cross of Jesus Christ makes all things new. Everything. So that in that, we can now live in confidence and humility, which leads to freedom and unity. When we live in confidence, that means we're no longer arrogant, believing that we need to hide ourselves from everybody else to make sure we put on a good show. Why? Because our confidence isn't in ourselves or the acceptance of all those around us. Our confidence is in Christ because he died for me and loves me and gave himself for me. And now I live my life in him. And so in that confidence, it gives me freedom. It gives me the ability to live completely and utterly for him with abandon, knowing that I'm taken care of completely. That I don't have to worry about stumbling. That I don't have to worry about those epic fails. Why? Because it's been taken care of. And it moves us to live humbly. Because in the cross of Christ, we recognize who we really are. And that there was nothing that we could do to get there. That it is all by God's pursuit to move us into whole relationship with Him and with ourselves and with others and with place. And by doing it, it moves us to a place of service in glory. We no longer have to have arrogance or fear. Thomas Wright, in his book about the crucifixion, puts it this way. Part of God's new age, His new creation, is launched at the cross and it's launched already when Jesus rose from the dead. And it's awaiting its final completion when he returns. But it is active now through the work of the rescued rescuers. The redeemed human beings called to bring redeeming love into the world. The justified justice bringers. The reconciled reconcilers. In other words, the cross, as Max Licato said a long time ago in one of the many books that he wrote, tells us that our failures are not fatal. They show us that this pursuing love of God doesn't overlook the mistakes and the failures that we do, but says that I have covered them. I have brought them into cleansingness. They are no longer failures. Your darkness is now light. It shows us the love that brings us into that whole relationship and then gives us the ability to bring love to everyone we encounter to build on that whole relationship. But the danger here is the eye. Not this eye. This eye. Look at verse 20 again. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Our temptation is to look and to say, I've got to do something. I've got to make things right. I've got to present the right story. I've got to present the right image. I've got to be the one that's going to bring people to this 
knowledge of whole relationship. We tend to operate in this way. Of course I'm loved, because I deserve all love. Or we think, I can't possibly be loved, because I'm so undeserving of that love. Most of us are probably a good mixture of both of those. There are moments when we think we're all that, and there are moments when we think we're nothing at all. And in doing that, we get trapped in this place of hiding, this place of shame, this place of masquerade, where we don't feel that we can be honest with one another, that we can be transparent with not only those who are closest to us, but even to the world around us. The life I now live in the flesh, I live in faith to the Son of God. What what does that even look like? What does that mean? Let's go back to the men who started driving a little slowly for their other buddy. What did they really accomplish there? They helped an external thing, right? That day, he didn't speed. That day, he didn't run any red lights. That That day, he was safe. Why? Because they'd set a boundary around him, externally. But they didn't take the time to figure out why it was that he felt the need to speak. See, when we are actually living our lives in faith to Christ, we move away from the external manifestations of our sin, and we begin to look at the heart reality of those. Maybe he speeds because he likes speed. He gets some sense of pleasure from it to go fast. I have the need, the need for speed, right? And so he starts to feel good about himself because he can drive better than most people, because he's so much better than most people, he can drive faster than most people, and he gets a thrill out of doing it. Did you see how many cars I passed? I got there in five seconds faster than I did the last time. Mm. Well, what's his heart really about? Himself. Perhaps it's that he thinks he's got to be at every meeting, but he can't leave the places where he's at because if he leaves, then that meeting's really not going to go the way that it needs to go. And so he stays a little bit longer at each meeting to make sure he got his information given to them because it's the most important information that they need to receive. And then he's got to speed to the next place because if he doesn't get there, then that meeting's not going to be what that meeting needs to be because he needs to be there to share his information, because it's the most important information that they need to hear. Because he's there to help them, to serve them in that way. But the reality is, his heart says, I need the control of this. I need to be recognized as the smartest person in the room. I want people to depend on my input. You see, the reality is, is when we live in faith in Christ, if we no longer live, if I no longer live, but Christ lives in and through me, it challenges me to look deeply within the idols of my heart. That say, oh, these external manifestations of sin are coming about because the reality is I like power or I like prestige, or I like pleasure, or I like control more than anything else in the world. 
That's the thing that I need more than Jesus. That's what Paul's saying here to Peter in his epic fell. He's looking at him and saying, brother, I'm coming alongside of you here, but I don't want to just deal with the external manifestation. I'm not just going to tell you, Peter, would you go sit with the Gentiles? I mean, that would have looked good, right? But he says, no, you've forgotten that you are in Christ. As a matter of fact, it's so important that he says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, if righteousness were through anything else that I did, then Christ died for no purpose. It can't get any more serious than that. In, in my life, I tend to say a prayer, usually every morning, and then oftentimes throughout the day. And the prayer goes like this. God, your throne looks really good. It looks like it'll fit me really well. I like the look of your throne. Please help me not to get on it. And I tend to stop there. As I've been studying this passage this week, I realize that I'm falling short. That my prayer should be this. Father, your throne looks good. I, I really think it would fit me well. I, I like the looks at it. Please help me not to get on it. But then to stop and hear this reply. My beloved son, this is my throne. I will stay seated. Come and climb up on my lap. And sit with me. And know that you are loved. You see, I stop short because I stop at a place where I think, thanks for helping God, but I'll stay down here because I can figure it out. And God in his goodness knows that there's no way I can do that. And so he invites us in to sit on his lap. And he looks at us and says, nothing you have done will separate you from my love for you. Sit on my lap. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good to us. Help us to move to this mystical, physical, emotional, spiritual, solid, tangible living in you. Thank you for the community that we gather with that know us intimately, that can speak into us and not just protect us externally, but dig into our hearts with us to protect us internally. Show us the idols that we possess. Thank you for inviting us on your throne. May these words be your words, Lord. If they are not, let them burn up and move away. But if they are, let them take root into our lives and bear good fruit for you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.